Welcome to The Heart Zone, a podcast ministry of Kernsville Christian Church, featuring the teaching ministry of George Cannon. For more information about Kernsville Christian Church, visit us on the web at www.kernsvillechristian.org. And now, for a message from The Heart Zone, here's George. All right, folks, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we're getting to that halfway point in Paul's letter. Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at and focusing on verses 1 through 11 today. Now let's kind of remind ourselves where, where we're at and what we're doing with this study. So basically the whole premise in our going through the book of Romans is to understand our faith. Because remember, I told you a lot of times we don't really understand what we believe. Well, we say we're Christians, but when you are pinpointed, and a lot of times in our culture today, people want to know exactly why you believe what you believe. A lot of times we don't have answers. We just know we pray a prayer, and, and, and so we're saved, and we're okay, and everybody else needs to pray a prayer, or they're going to hell. But we don't really understand the 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 essence of it for ourselves. And so Paul kind of outlines, he outlines that in this letter because he's, he's writing a letter to the Romans who he hasn't even at this point visited yet. And he's kind of laying out his theology. He's kind of laying out what he believes. And he sums it up in that first chapter that the just shall live by faith. That, that's really what our lives need to be, living by faith. And he explains why that is. In chapters 1, halfway through chapters 3, he tells us that the world is condemned. The world's going to hell. There's no one that's righteous, no one seeking after God. So then you realize, though, that there is justification. We see that in chapters 3 going on to chapter 4 and chapter 5, that we are accepted with him not because of ourselves. Remember, I told you, it's not about you. Never has been about you. It's about who? It's about Jesus and what he's done for you. Not you, him. And we are accepted, we're reconciled to him, we are justified before him. Not because of us, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And that's what we have our faith in. So then he moves then to the whole issue of what would be, would be called sanctification, where we, how we live our lives now, becoming like Jesus and so he expresses to us that the power of sin has been broken in our lives. You and I can say no to sin. We don't have to yield our members to it. But then we got to chapter 7 and Paul said, yeah, but we're still influenced, aren't we? We end up being defeated because even though the power of sin has been broken and we're dead to sin, we're, we're a new person now, we still give in to our sinful desires. And he expressed very much so in the latter part of seven, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of sin? Why? Because he just said earlier that the, what I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I do. Because even though the power of sin has been broken, it still has an influence on you. And you still give in. But the wonderful thing is at the end of chapter 7, he says, but thanks be to Christ. There's hope. 
You don't have to stay defeated. It is a life to be lived by faith. Not in yourself, because when you look at yourself, you're going to do the wrong thing. You're going to give in to the desires of your flesh. But your eyes need to be on who? Jesus. So then, after expressing that struggle that happens within us, we come to chapter 8. And let's look at what he says. Chapter 8. After he just expressed this internal struggle, the good that we don't, that, that which we don't want to do, we do. That which we do want to do, we can't do. Here's what he says for those of us who were defeated this morning. Verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I read that to you again? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. All right, folks, what we're going to do is we're going to take this passage and we're really going to divide it up into three sections today. We're going to talk about the new reality, a new reality that, that's beyond the reality that most of us live in. Remember, most of us, we have this internal struggle. We're living in defeat. But there's a new reality, something that you've got to grab a hold of beyond that. Okay, so we're going to see that. And then we're going to talk about focusing your mind. Because that's going to be a key issue here is where are you focusing your mind? And then finally, what we're going to see is the Spirit's presence. Okay, so let's talk about the new reality. So here's the first thing I want you to see. Let me read to you. I've read it to you twice already. Let me read to you what Paul says here after that big, long discussion concerning the whole issue of, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of sin? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus. So therefore, here it is. 
Verse 1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what is he saying here? In spite of our struggle, we're not condemned. We're not condemned. All right, so I want you to think with me for a moment. We came to Christ by faith so that we would be saved, right? We came to Christ by faith so that we would be saved, that we would be forgiven, that we would have eternal life, that we would not go to hell. Is that not true? Okay. But the reality is, is that even though the power of sin has been broken, I have been freed. The old man died. I'm a new person in Christ. I still sin because what? I inhabit a body of flesh that, to be honest with you, I have trained in sin. And this body of flesh desires certain things. So like it's Memorial Day weekend. I have no clue what's on the menu this weekend when we get together with family. I'm hoping it's cheeseburgers. But I'm not in charge of the menu. Okay? I might be disappointed, but I'll be happy with whatever. So, but my point is, is my body's like cheeseburgers, cheeseburgers. Okay? Somebody else would be like, yeah, that's not, I'm a potato salad person. Or whatever. Each of us, we live in our bodies and we've trained our bodies in sin. We've trained our bodies so much, though, that our bodies desire sin. Now, here's what we normally do is, we've already expressed it the last couple of weeks, we give in to our bodies the good that we want to do. We don't do that which we want to do. We don't want to do, we do, right? And so we end up struggling. We end up, oh, wretched man, like Paul. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, I'm worthless. Oh, God, you can't love me. And so then he starts off and says, there is therefore no condemnation. In spite of the fact that you struggle, he already knows that you're going to struggle. There's no condemnation. Can I, can I say that to you? So when you do the wrong thing, you didn't catch him by surprise. He's not sitting on the throne saying, whoa, wait a minute, oh, 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 did you see what George just did? I did not expect that. Do you understand what I'm saying? God's not that way. He knows everything. He knows your, your end and your beginning. Do you understand what I'm saying? He knows everything about you. And so when Jesus died for you, he died for you, for your sin, not just the ones in the past, but for those who are yet to be committed. He eliminated the condemnation. He eliminated what was happening with the folks that we talked about over in chapters 1 through 3. He accepts you now. And so therefore, there is no condemnation. Is he displeased? Yes. Does he want better for your life? Yes. But there's no condemnation. He's not throwing you out of the family. He's not sending you to hell. So this is the new reality here. Look with me now. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Look with me at verse 2 to 3. He says, For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Here's what I want you to see. The spirit has set us free since the law could not. It's the spirit who sets you free. Because the law could not. Think about it. I, there was a period of time, maybe it was because of my church background at the time. I mean, I came to Christ in 1985. I was 19 years old. Went to a little bitty independent Baptist church in West Columbia, South Carolina. And, of course, they preached the message of salvation by faith. But they also preached the message of doing the right stuff and maintaining the right stuff, dressing the right way, carrying the right Bible, having the right haircut, which I've never had a problem with that one, okay? No beards, I would have a problem now, okay? So, uh, you know, and that kind of thing, and you don't go here, you don't go there. There are places you don't do this, you don't do that, and whatever. So a lot of things and so forth. And, and what I found was is, is that as I tried to do everything, maybe you've done this, as I tried to keep every expectation of the church, of, of the culture of the church that I was in, here's what I found. Anybody got a guess? I couldn't do it. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't do it. I, could, I couldn't do it. So the church I was involved in, we believed in second and third degree separation. What is that, George? Well, you can't associate with somebody who associates with somebody who's wrong. That's kind of weird, isn't it? You can't associate with somebody who's associating with somebody who's wrong. And at the time, as a young man, I was in the National Guard, and I was in this signal battalion in, in, uh, West, in Camden, South Carolina. And uh, so I would go on weekends, and sometimes we would go away for two weeks of annual training and so forth. And, and in the entire unit I was in, there was only one other Christian. And it was a guy who was a sergeant. I forget his name now. It's been years. It's been, yeah, it's been 30 years. And he was the only Christian. And so we would go away for two weeks. I had to make a choice. If I wanted to connect with another Christian, I would have to connect with him. But the, my church taught me Second and third degree separation. Meaning, I shouldn't associate with him. You want to know why I couldn't associate with him? Because he was Pentecostal. And independent Baptists don't associate with people who speak in tongues. So, I had to make a choice. Some of you are like, are you kidding me? I'm telling you, this is what it can happen. I made a choice that I could fellowship with my brother. We just didn't talk about tongues. We just talked about the Lord. Did you understand? So I realized, I brought up that illustration for what purpose? I brought up that you can't do everything. Even, even Peter, remember when Peter, when they were having the big Jerusalem council, the very first church council that existed, talking about what Gentiles should do, about whether or not they should be circumcised and keep the law or not. Peter speaks up, it's recorded in Acts, and says, 
Why are we imposing on them what we ourselves cannot keep? And this is the point that Paul's making here. The Spirit is the one who sets you free. Not the law. Do you understand? The law. So think about it for a moment. So why is it that we're defeated? Why is it that we struggle so much with the difficulties of our life? Why is it that we are struggling to a point where it's like, oh no, why, why do I even bother? Because we keep doing the wrong thing and we think somehow if I could just do the right thing now, I'll be in a better place with God. Did you catch what I just said? We think that if I just do the right thing, I'll be in a what? A better place with God. Isn't there something wrong with that, George? Everything's wrong with it. Because that's not the gospel. The gospel is, is you could do nothing for yourself. He did it all for you by going to the cross and dying for you there. So what makes you think you could keep doing the right thing when you couldn't do it before for salvation? It's all based on him. And so what the law could not do as far as bringing you to a place of acceptance with him, of, of freeing you from your sin, what can the Spirit? The Spirit of God who indwells each and every one of you the moment you gave your heart to Christ in faith, he indwelt you. And the Spirit is the one who sets you free. And when you realize that, so yes, you stumble, you fall, you do wrong, what do you do? You pick yourself up, you confess, make your relationship right with Christ because you've hurt him, but you go on, why? In the power of the Spirit, because through him you can do this. You can overcome it. And that's what he's talking about here. In fact, you go on and look with me at verse 4. Here, here's what he's saying to us. Look, in fact, when you go by the Spirit, look at what happens in verse 4. He says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We're able to keep the law through the Spirit, not through the flesh. You're able to keep the law. You're able to do what God wants you to do, not because of you, but because of the Spirit within you, but because of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because if it was left up to you, could you do it? Could you do it? Boy, we're quiet this morning. No. Why? Paul just told us in chapter 7, the good that I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I what? Do. It's through the Spirit that you're able to do what's right. It's through the Spirit that you're able to live the life that He wants you to live. That's the new reality. We well, say, okay, George, I understand the new reality, but let, let's get practical here for a moment. How, how do I do that, though? Because, I mean, if, if I just walk out of here knowing that, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll follow it away, yes, through the Spirit. But I don't understand how that works in my everyday life. Well, isn't it interesting? Paul tells you. 
It's an issue of what you focus your mind on. Look with me at verse 5. First of all, verse 5 and verse 6. First point I want you to see here. Look with me. He says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Here's the point I want you to see. We, what you set your mind on determines your actions. What you set your mind on is what you feed yourself. You ever heard the statement, garbage in, garbage out? If you're constantly feeding yourself with garbage, guess what's coming out, folks? Garbage. You're looking at something that you're struggling with in your life, and you're like, why am I continually giving into this? Why am I continually giving in? Well, how about take a step back and see what are you feeding yourself with? What are you feeding your mind with? If, if you are focusing on the flesh and setting your mind on the flesh, you're going to go and follow after what? The flesh. But if you're focusing your mind on the Spirit and the things that the Spirit has for you, you're going to focus and do what's right, right? In fact, I've got two verses I want to give you to help you along with this. It goes all the way back to Psalm 119. Longest psalm in the Bible. But in the second section, there are a couple of verses that just stand out. First one is this. Psalm 119, verse 9. Here's what David writes. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Okay, so listen to me. How can you keep your way pure? How can you make sure that you are doing what's right by guarding your life with what? His word. His word. Feeding yourself with his word. So listen, is there a reason why we keep telling you every quarter, use the daily bread? We want you to start habits of what? Focusing your mind on what's right. Is there a reason why we say to you, if you have a smartphone, get the church app? By the way, it's free. Just search Kerwinsville Christian Church. You get the app, you get all the teaching, plus you get all kinds of resources there, devotions and so forth, the prayer wall, all of that so that you focus on what? What you need to focus on, being led by the Spirit rather than by your flesh. Because the fact of the matter is, if you're constantly just feeding yourself with the stuff of the world, is it any wonder that you're defeated? Is it any wonder that you're struggling? So how do you do that? Okay, then verse 11, two verses later, he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I'll tell you a great concept that blew my mind a few years ago. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, there's no temptation taken to man except that which is common to man. And God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. He'll provide a way of escape. That's George Cannon paraphrase. He'll provide a way of escape. For years I prayed, God, 
I don't want to do this. Show me the way of escape. How do I escape this? How do I escape this? You ever prayed like that? I did. Then one day, I'm reading through the Gospels, and I'm reading about the temptation of Christ by Satan. And so each one of the temptations, when Jesus is tempted by him to make stones in the bread, cast himself off from the pinnacle of the, uh, of the temple for, for everybody, the angels to catch him, or to bow down and worship Satan, and each one of the temptations, what does Jesus do? Anybody know? He answers him with what? Scripture. And I realized, okay, Lord, that's the escape. That's what David says. I've stored your word in my heart that I, what, might not sin against you. See, the reality is, is okay, you've got to focus your mind. What you set your mind on determines your actions. But notice now also, here's what he points out, because if you do it in a wrong direction, he's very clear what's happening here. Look with me at verse 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So here's what I want you to see. Here's the second point I want you to see. This is, this is to help us to understand. Focusing your mind on the flesh is hostile to God and it does not please him. It's hostile to him and doesn't please him. So, okay, can, can we back up for a moment? Let's, let's make this so that we understand here. What are we talking about here? The moment you got saved, the instant you got saved, when you came to that moment of realizing who he was and your need for Jesus, you entered into a relationship with him. Do you understand what I'm saying? A relationship was restored. An intimate relationship with him. Now, in that relationship, what you do affects that relationship with him. It either cultivates that relationship or it hinders that relationship. And what's being shared right here in this passage is, is if you're focusing your mind, if you are feeding your mind with the stuff of this world and flesh so that you just give into the flesh, he points out to you that makes you hostile to who? God. That hurts the relationship. Now, is there hostility in relationships sometimes? Aren't there hostility in relationships sometimes? You guys mean you never fight? It happens in our relationship with God, right? That our actions, contrary to what he wants in our lives, are hostile to him. And he points out very clearly that it does not please him. Why, why is he telling you that? It's a negative reinforcement. He's wanting you to understand you're, there is no condemnation. So don't keep living that way. You're not condemned. You're somebody new in Jesus. 
You have life to fulfill the law. The Spirit will help you to fulfill the law. But here's the thing. You've got to focus your mind on what? Being led by the Spirit. Versus what? Focusing your mind on the things of the flesh, which cause you to what? Just do the wrong thing. Because by doing the wrong thing, you hinder your relationship with who? God. And it doesn't please him. So that you understand that now, he again gets into what I think is the next most important thing here for you and I to see. And that's the Spirit's presence in our life. The Spirit has a presence in our life. In fact, think about it for a moment. We just had a Bible study. There was, uh, I think, 30 of us from our church involved in three days of studies, four different studies, going through A.W. Tozer's How to Be Filled with the Spirit. The whole process of what we process there from A.W. Tozer is, is that by cultivating that relationship with the Spirit, we're filled by Him because we have a relationship with Him. And we understand the need for his presence in our lives to be the people that he wants us to be. Well, that's what Paul's getting ready to stress here to us as well in this passage. Look with me at verses 9 through 11. Here's what the apostle writes. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. All right, stop. All right. This is a reality. If you know Jesus Christ, who inhabits you? Spirit of God, right? So what he's saying is, here's, he's saying for a fact, you are not in the what? Flesh. You are in the Spirit if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Yes, the Spirit of God dwells in me. I am in the Spirit. You are in the Spirit. Do you understand? Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to him. So basically he's saying, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not a believer. You don't belong to him. All right, we understand that, all right? Look with me now, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life because of righteousness... The Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. All right, let's look here. There's three things I want you to see about the Spirit's presence, okay? First of all, those who belong to God are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Those who belong to God are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So, okay, let's just remind ourselves of something. Who's the Holy Spirit? God. Third person of the Trinity. God. Okay, so I want you to think about it. So when we're back over in chapter 7, and, and we're, we're, we're wrestling with the reality of, of our internal struggle, and we're like, oh, that which I don't want to do, I do. That which I want to do, I can't do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of sin? If we express Paul's way of saying it. Or, I'm just a scoundrel. There's no way you can love me, God. God, I can see why you're away from me, God. Why are you so distant? We say things like that, right? We say things like that. We lie to ourselves. Because, can I be honest with you, if you are 
a child of God, who is in you? The Spirit, right? Does he leave you? No, no. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1, he, verse 13 and 14, he is our seal to the day of redemption. He is our guarantee for eternal life. He's not leaving you. So when I say, God, where are you? You're not with me. I can see why you turned your face from me. Is, are those true statements? No, they're false statements. We're living on lies. We're defeated by lies. He's with you. You're still his child. He's with you. The Spirit is with you. So those who belong to God are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Period. Do you understand? Here's the second thing I want you to see. While our bodies are dead because of sin, we have life through the Spirit. While our bodies are dead, can, can I be honest with you? Think about it for a moment. I just told you what I'm hoping that we're going to have this weekend, although I'm not sure, and I'll be okay with whatever we choose to eat. So, but I'm hoping, man, maybe there'll be a cheeseburger. But, okay, I'm going to love cheeseburgers till I die. And then God will eradicate that from me because I know we won't be eating them in heaven, okay? So the, the reality is I inhabit a body of death with its desires. You and I inhabit a body of death with its desires. Even though our bodies are dead because of sin, we have life now, not because we do the right things. Did, did you catch what I just said? We have life now not because we do the right things. We have life now because we have who? The Spirit who inhabits us. This is, this is the point I want you to see. So that brings us to the conclusion of what he's going to say here today, and that is for us, is that the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead gives us life now and in the future. Life now and in the future. Now, can I, can I, when you got saved, it wasn't just so that you had a ticket to heaven. Can I be honest with you? It wasn't so you just made sure you didn't go to hell. When you got saved, eternal life began that moment. And what is eternal life? Jesus said, and eternal life is that they know you, the one who sent me, and himself. Eternal life is knowing God and a relationship with him. That's what Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer. It begins now. The spirit who raised Jesus from the dead gives us life now and in the future. What do you mean in the future? Well, look with me, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised, Jesus, who, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. What does that mean, give life to my mortal bodies? One day, he's going to change this body that is a body of death to a new body. Aren't you glad for that? Through his spirit who dwells in you. Wonderful thing, when you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, passage commonly known for its reference to the rapture. It talks about in a twinkling of an eye. 
The dead are raised, and we who remain are caught up in the air, and we are transformed in that moment. Isn't that going to be awesome? You know, I, I, I often say this. <laughs> I think I've shared this with you before. I, I hate death, but I do long for the day when I go to be with Jesus. Why? Because the battle will be over. What battle, George? The eternal struggle that I have, the internal struggle, the good that I want to do, I don't do, that which I don't want to do, I do. But see, I hold on because I live in who? The Spirit. And so I have hope. You say, okay, George, what do we do with this? Okay. Here's reality. The biggest battle you and I are going to have is not just with ourselves and doing the things that we don't want to do. The biggest battle that you and I are going to have is not living in spiritual defeat. Did you hear what I said? It's not the battle with your flesh. That, that, that's going to happen until you go to be with Jesus, okay? The biggest battle is what you do with that battle. It's whether or not you decide you're going to be defeated. And what he's telling you to do is, is you don't have to live there. Verse 1, there is no condemnation. You're not living in a condemnation. Did you understand that? In fact, you need to live led by who? The Spirit. Live filled with the Spirit rather than giving in to your flesh. And you can do that by focusing your mind, setting your mind on the things of the Spirit rather than the things of the flesh. Why? Because the Spirit is with you. So even though you struggle... Even though you're human, you can move forward. As I'm getting older, I'm realizing that when you read Revelation, you know, especially when you read those two chapters with the, letter, the letters to the seven churches and the promises, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, I will do this. He gives a promise. And they overcame. There's another theme that they, they share in the book of Revelation. It's about enduring to the end. I realize that one day when I go to be with Jesus, he's going to say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But I've come to the conclusion, it isn't going to be about what I achieve in this world. It's because I hung on. And I held on to faith. No matter the internal struggle. And I focused on him. That, my friends, is where we need to be. We need to quit living in defeat and be the people he wants us to be because he gave us his spirit. Let me pray for you.